On today's bonus episode, we have the set at Christmas classic Batman Returns from 1992. everyone welcome to brandon at random reviews i am your host brandon griffiths thank you for stopping by i do appreciate it and today on the show like i said we're just going to be covering one movie and that is batman returns and it is the sequel to the 1989 film batman which also starred michael keaton and was directed by tim burton and i I would love to share with you my first experience with this movie. So I went and saw it at the Pines Theater in Houghton Lake, Michigan. And basically my grandparents took me and my sister Michelle and my cousin Rob to go see this movie. And I don't think they knew what they were in for when they decided to do this. But I basically, I was so into Batman at the time, and obviously I am now, but it was like I was really getting into it, and I had that little kid energy about it, and it was like, you know, I wasn't going to get talked out of going to see Batman Returns. Like, it wasn't going to fucking happen. It was, they were never going to be able to talk me out of it. Why bother? You know, it's just take the kids to go see it and hope for the best. And so, obviously, you know, it's it became pretty clear during the movie, it was a very dark tone, and it had a lot of adult themes and adult situations that were just playing out on screen, and it was like, holy shit, this is not really for kids. I'm sorry, but it's just, it's not really for kids at all. And as I watch it today, I firmly believe that that's the case. It is not a family-friendly movie at all, and it's unfortunate, but it is the truth. I mean, whether you love it or hate it, I I think you should be able to agree that it's got some pretty adult things in it. So I guess we'll just kick it right off. It was released on June 19th, 1992. Obviously, as I mentioned, it's a set-at-Christmas movie. This was a big thing in the late 80s and early 90s that they would release a movie that was set at Christmas and it would they would come out with it in the middle of the summer and it was like why why are you doing this you know what i mean what what is the point of this so the movie was directed by Tim Burton and honestly with Tim Burton if it's not Batman i'm generally not a fan of his i don't really care for much of what he's done he did the movie Beetlejuice which actually also starred Michael Keaton and that was before Batman even came out and that was kind of what led to the controversy of Michael Keaton being cast as Batman was because a lot of fans didn't really think that Michael Keaton could do anything other than comedy. And I will say that they were wrong about that. Then, you know, he also did Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I can't, I haven't watched it in, I don't know, 30 years probably. And I don't need to go back to that. I don't need to remember that movie at all. It's just not my cup of tea. You know what I mean? Like, I see what it's all about. And I just think to myself, nope, no fucking way I'm going to enjoy that as an adult at all, because I don't think I enjoyed it as a kid either. So Tim Burton also made the movie Edward Scissorhands, and that one always perplexed me because I didn't really think it was a good movie, but 
it was so bizarre. It's like this inventor makes a person and one of the steps in the process of making that person is to give them scissors for hands. And that's the logical progression for that inventor is that's what, you know, that's the step before getting real hands. Like why, what, what benefit could that possibly have? I never understood it and I haven't seen it in so long that now it's like, I don't even want to know. I don't even, I don't even need answers to that question. And Tim Burton also made The Nightmare Before Christmas, and he did the story and the characters in that movie. He didn't actually direct it or any of that stuff. It was He was basically just the big idea guy, you know? And so it was his movie, but it, it wasn't directed by him, and he was working on other projects concurrently with that one. For the screenplay, we have writer Daniel Waters. He was notable for having made Heathers and Hudson Hawk before this movie. I remember seeing Heathers a while back for the first time. Not my kind of movie. And I'm making myself sound like I fucking hate every kind of movie there is, but it's legitimately just these dark comedy type things where it's like, I don't I don't find the humor in it, so I don't really enjoy it. When Hudson Hawk, I never actually saw it, so I can't really speak on that one. But he also, after this movie, made the movie Demolition Man. And that movie was previously covered on this podcast. And I have to say, not a fan of that one either. And it's not for dark humor reasons. It's just because it was kind of a stupid over-the-top movie. But it wasn't like the worst movie I'd ever seen or anything. But aside from the other movies that he'd worked on, Burton selected Waters because he didn't have an emotional attachment to Batman overall. And Waters also said that he did not care for Batman 1989, which, if you look into it, it basically sounds like Tim Burton... He didn't have enough creative control for him to actually like the final product of the original Batman movie. I don't know why studios do that to to directors, but it's like they obviously wanted to make sure that the movie was successful. And honestly, if we would have gotten a Batman 1989 that was more like Batman Returns, I don't know that it would have been successful at all, like, or on, on the level that Batman 1989 ultimately was. For the producers, we have Denise DeNovi and Tim Burton, and they collaborate a lot on different projects. For the score, we have composer Danny Elfman, and he is a powerhouse composer. I mean, he's right up there. I definitely wouldn't put him above John Williams, because obviously you guys know how much I love John Williams, but he is fantastic. You know, he's done most of the Tim Burton movies. He also did Scrooged with Bill Murray. And I'm going to try and reference as many Christmas movies in this episode as I can as I'm going through the cast and the the crew. He also did Mission Impossible, the original Mission Impossible. He did Spider-Man from 2002. That's the one with Tobey Maguire. And he did Men in Black, among many, many others. He's been credited as composing a lot of different scores. So for the cast, we have Michael Keaton, and he plays Bruce Wayne slash Batman. And he was obviously in Batman 1989, that goes without saying, but he was in Night Shift in the 80s. And most notably from that movie, there is a bit that I would, at the very least, YouTube. I mean, you don't really have to watch the whole movie, but he has this bit about feeding the mayonnaise to tuna to, like, cut out the middleman in the process of making 
tuna salad or whatever. And it's it's pretty funny. It's pretty stupid, but it's it's funny. And he, he also was in the movie Johnny Dangerously, which is just a silly all-around movie that I really enjoy. And I, I had to buy it on DVD because it's actually, I don't think, available on streaming services or just to purchase digitally. It's just not available. It's one of those random movies that just happens to not have the rights or whatever, and they, they can't actually sell it digitally. And then he was in Beetlejuice, which is... As I mentioned, I'm not a huge fan of Tim Burton movies, so I didn't really care for Beetlejuice. And he's like, he's the star of that movie, but he's like barely in that movie at all. Like He's in it for like 20 minutes, I think, if I remember right. Michael Keaton was in the movie Jack Frost, which is the Christmas movie from his list. And my goodness gracious, that is about a dad that is a musician and he dies in a car accident during a blizzard and comes back as a snowman. And I just, I can't tell you how dumb the movie is. And it's just, it's just not good, basically. And then he, he also did, you know, last but not least, I'm only doing a select few movies for each of these actors, but he did the movie Spotlight, which is about these journalists that uncovered the whole child abuse in the Catholic Church and things like that. And so it's it's about that story. And it's very interesting. It's a very well-made movie. It's very it's got a great cast. I really like it. So next up we have Danny DeVito, who plays Oswald Cobblepot slash the Penguin. And he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is a great one. It's a classic. I Absolutely adore that movie. It's very interesting. It's very unsettling to watch for sure, but it's it's definitely worth your time. He was in the movie Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where basically Arnold Schwarzenegger plays this straight edge guy that was basically raised in a lab. And Danny DeVito plays his biological twin who looks like Danny DeVito and is basically a scumbag. And it's pretty fucking funny. Like, it's a pretty amusing movie. I really enjoyed it. He did the movie Matilda. He plays Matilda's dad in that movie. And he actually also directed that one. And that one's just a favorite of mine from my childhood. I just really enjoyed that. You know, I just, I loved the story. This girl gets like telekinetic powers and it's just very cool. It's a, it's a great movie. He was in Deck the Halls with Matthew Broderick, and that is one of the all-time worst Christmas movies I've ever seen. It has almost no redeeming qualities whatsoever. I cannot suggest that you avoid that one enough. And obviously, you know, Danny DeVito is a series regular on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and he's great in that show. And I, I really don't feel like Danny DeVito gets the credit for being a great actor that he deserves because of presumably like his appearance, you know, just because he's, he's got this really short stature and he's, he's not like a Hollywood leading man type. So it's like he kind of gets brushed aside, I feel like, and that's not really fair. So next up we have Michelle Pfeiffer, who I have noted here is hot. And she plays Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. And she was in Grease 2, which is a vastly inferior sequel to the original Grease, which I really enjoy, as you probably already know, because I previously did an episode on it. She was in the movie Scarface, and 
you know, I thought that movie was good when I was younger. And then it, I, I watched this bit that a comedian, I think it was John Mulaney, has a bit about how bad of a movie Scarface really is. Like, how unpleasant the story is and all the characters are just awful. And it's just not a fun watch at all. And I don't know why it's gotten so much praise the world over. She was in the movie Lady Hawk, which I think I watched in high school for some reason. Like one of my teachers had us watch Lady Hawk and I don't remember much about it. I remember it being pretty weird, but you know, it's just, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is in it and I felt like mentioning it because it does stand out as one of the ones that she's like known for. And then last but not least for her, we have Stardust, which is just one that I've been wanting to see. It's got Robert De Niro in it and I just, I've never heard much about it, but it's one of those ones that I just want to check out. And then the last member of our cast I'll be talking about is Christopher Walken, who plays Max Shrek. He was in The Deer Hunter, which is by far one of the most depressing movies I've ever sat through. I don't know why it's so well regarded. It's not it's not enjoyable to watch. I don't I don't get it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm alone, I don't know. He was also in A View to a Kill, which was a James Bond movie from the mid-1980s, and he plays the villain. And that was actually the last one that Roger Moore did as James Bond. And it is notoriously bad, but it's got kind of like a cult following, like a lot of Hardcore Bond fans really love that one, and it's, I just don't get it. It's not, it's not good, guys. So, Christopher Walken also, in True Romance and Pulp Fiction, both movies written by Quentin Tarantino, he has the smallest part, like a single scene in each of those movies, but he fucking kills it in each of those scenes, and I highly recommend both of those movies. I previously covered Pulp Fiction on this podcast, and then True Romance is lesser known, but it's still very good. I would definitely check True Romance out if you get a chance. So for casting notes, I've got a bunch of stuff for this one. So what you have to understand about this movie is... Batman 1989 was a huge hit. You know, it was a very well-marketed blockbuster and it just did really well at the box office and everything. And so when the second movie came around, it was like a lot of people wanted to be a part of it, you know? And so at one point, Robin Williams was actually being considered to portray the Riddler in this movie before the story was taken in another direction and they basically just nixed that character. Marlon Brando was Tim Burton's first choice to play the Penguin, but those also considered for the role included Robert De Niro, John Candy, Bob Hoskins, Dean Martin, Christopher Lloyd, and Dustin Hoffman. And those considered for the part of Catwoman included Annette Benning, and she was actually originally cast as Catwoman, and then I don't remember what the story was on why she had to drop out, but she didn't end up doing it, obviously. Then we had Bridget Fonda, Jennifer Jason Lee, Madonna, Julie Newmar, who was actually the actress who played Catwoman in the 1960s TV show with Adam West. Then we have Susan Sarandon, Raquel Welch, Gina Davis, Sigourney Weaver, and Kim Basinger, which I guess maybe they were going to try and turn her Vicky Vale character from the first movie into Catwoman and 
you know, go about it that way, but obviously they decided not to do that. So Sean Young was one that was also considered, and she had originally been cast as Vicki Vale in 1989's Batman, but she sustained an injury that kept her out of playing that role, and ultimately that allowed Kim Basinger to be chosen for the part instead. But Sean Young desperately wanted the Catwoman role in the sequel, and actually tried to give Burton an impromptu audition in a homemade costume. And she did talk to some of the actors while she was trying to get this audition, but apparently Tim Burton actually hid from her under his desk, and it's like, wow, okay, that's very depressing to think about for Sean Young. Christopher Walken supposedly scared Tim Burton, so he was reluctant to cast him. David Bowie was also considered for the role of Max Shrek, but obviously it ultimately went to Walken. So for the plot synopsis, we have a new villain in Gotham City known as the Penguin looks to become mayor and turn the public against the Cape Crusader, all while the mysterious Catwoman stirs up chaos. And I, so I don't normally do this with these reviews. If you're not familiar with the show, I don't typically talk about like taglines, but because this is a single movie episode, I'm really kind of deep diving here. So I saw this, this whole tagline and I just thought it was hilarious. And so I found it on IMDb and it's, it reminds me like, I'm assuming it was like the epic voice guy from all the trailers from like the 90s and stuff. I'm assuming this is what he was saying in the trailer, but I didn't really look into it much farther to find out. But what it says is, from the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. From the rooftops of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. And the only one who can save this city is a creature of the night. All right, so let's just dive right into the plot here. So let me just first say that regardless of all of my criticisms of this movie, I still do like it. I enjoy this movie. It's just I recognize that it is a flawed movie. It's got some pretty serious flaws in it, and I understand that, And I, but I'm okay with it. I'm comfortable with that. So the opening shot of this movie... The mansion, the snow coming down, the score, and as soon as you see it come on the screen, it's like, you know it's going to be an entirely different movie from Batman 1989, like, just way fucking different. But that being said, it is very beautiful, and I gotta say, Tim Burton really knows how to do some dark visuals, like, he has a really good knack for it, you know? I, I guess, you know, that's just his his big thing, is it's like he, he really sets up these cool shots, and I love it. So I guess I would say, you know, as this movie opens up, this entire sequence that we start with is, it's basically just really hammering home that this penguin is a monster. You know, it's just like, oh, he's horrible. It's just, you know, it's like we hear the woman giving birth to him and screaming. And then it's like the, the parents are standing and, you know, sipping their, their drinks and they're, you know, smoking and the penguins in the little cage behind them. And he, you know, the penguin grabs the cat that's wandering around and stuff and, and fights with it inside the cage. And you never see this penguin baby at all, because obviously it probably would have been pretty hard to accomplish, like pulling off 
a baby penguin creature that didn't look ridiculous. So it was probably a good call to leave him off. But so basically these parents are watching this baby and what a monster it is. And they just kind of exchange glances and they're like, all right, we're going to get fucking rid of this kid, you know? And so they put the baby in this baby carriage and they go for a walk in the park and they come over this bridge and they take the basket off the carriage and they just throw the basket into this river and they just basically let the penguin ride down the river and, you know, come whatever may, you know, it's it, it basically, but it's like, it's so weird because there's, there's like a Moses allegory here and I don't really understand why there's a Moses allegory because it, it's very reminiscent of the Moses story, you know, this floating basket raft thing you know it's like it's very weird to me that they went in that direction and you know as we see you know basically this river empties into a sewer and we see this penguin baby in this basket riding in the sewer you know we get the opening credits and we get a showcase of Danny Elfman's score and it's it echoes the Batman 1989 score but it is wholly different. It is an entirely different score. I mean, it's got some of the same themes, but it's not the same score at all. So the penguin baby gets to the end of the sewer and the basket comes up and it's like, you see that there are these penguins that are greeting it. And I guess we're to gather that these penguins just like fucking raise this baby. Is that what I'm supposed to get? That they're, they're going to raise a human baby and that's that's what I'm supposed to be taking away from this. Okay. So it comes up and says that it's 33 years later. And based on what the penguin looks like, it must have been a rough fucking 33 years. I mean, Danny DeVito was 48 years old when he shot this movie. And so it's like, he already looks like he's 48. And then on top of that, they have all of this grotesque makeup on him, you know, to look like the penguin. And it's just, why did they make it 33 years? They really had no logical reason to have it be that specific amount of time. It, it doesn't really add up to me. So we see Gotham City, and basically, I do want to point out, so there's a commentary available on YouTube that Kevin Smith and his friend Mark Bernardin did, and it was like, basically just a walkthrough commentary. Like you start playing the movie and you start playing the commentary and you can listen to it while you watch Batman Returns. And Kevin Smith is a lot smarter on movies than I am, obviously, because he's a filmmaker, but he's also a lot smarter than I am on Batman. And so it's like he, he notices stuff and he points out stuff that I, it's really interesting. So I would take a listen to that. But he talks about, most notably, what stood out to me was he pointed out how there are so many of these big scenes in this movie that should have had these huge fucking crowds, and they had nobody. They had, like, maybe a quarter of the amount of people for extras that they should have had for these scenes, and it's clear that they pretty much probably slashed that budget in favor of doing some other thing that they wanted to do in the movie, but it's just, it looks really weird. There, there are just nowhere near the amount of people in Gotham City that we would expect there to be in a big city like Gotham City. So we see Alfred talking to this 
guy who's selling newspapers and you know this this guy selling newspapers the front page story is this hideous penguin man lives in the sewers and you know alfred just dismisses it as rubbish and but we get this really cool shot panning from alfred to shrek's department store and then it pans up really quickly to the offices and the the you know the the meeting room above Shrek's department store where Max Shrek is Christopher Walken's character is meeting with the mayor but it's basically that the way they did the shot is they apparently used miniatures which I always find fascinating when things are done with miniatures because it's just like it's so wild to me that we make these tiny little models of things and then we shoot them like they're the real size that they're supposed to be you know but I mean, I got to say, so we get this meeting with Christopher Walken and the mayor and, you know, he's Christopher Walken is great in this fucking movie. You know, I mean, him is Max Shrek. He's solid. I have no complaints about him. But so I was going to try and I wanted to do this. So I may just completely cut it. But there is a video online of a guy doing a Christopher Walken impression and he's preparing this chicken and he's talking like Christopher Walken, and he's like, what you gotta do is get yourself a free-range chicken. I don't care how you do it. Buy it. Hunt it down with a knife. Just treat the animal with respect. And I don't know why, but I really fucking enjoy, like, just him saying that. It just sounds so Christopher Walken-y, and I don't know why. So we, we meet Michelle Pfeiffer. She's, like, Max Shrek's secretary, and, you know, she is Selena Kyle, and she really plays the two iterations of her character very well. You know, she plays this awkward, down-on-her-luck, fucking zero-confidence receptionist, and then, you know, we get the polar opposite of that when she transforms into the Catwoman. You know, what, what I find funny is that this Selena Kyle character is not at all the Selena Kyle that I'm familiar with. I'm most familiar with the Batman the Animated Series version of her. Basically, in that show, she's like an animal rights activist, and she's like a jewel thief on the side, I think, to like fund her causes, basically. But my pitch for this movie, because they basically make it that she's this really awkward secretary, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, she's she just pisses Max off or whatever, and, you know, you know, she ends up transforming into Catwoman. I would say, you know, maybe even el- eliminate the origin story for Catwoman. Like, don't just have her already be Catwoman. But then it's like, you know, we could make it that she's been doing Catwoman stuff for a while, and she's just been stealing shit from places. But she's a wildlife conservationist by day, And when Max's new power plant is coming together, it turns out that it's on, like, a wildlife refuge or something. And then, you know, her stake in it is that she's trying to keep Max from building this so he doesn't destroy this habitat or whatever. And I think that that would have been a a cool direction to go and just make her an all-around confident character. But they went in a completely different direction than what I would have expected. But basically, so to set the stage... Max's big initial plan is that he wants to harness the city's power during a time of surplus power with a new power plant that will actually just be a giant capacitor and it'll harness all of this extra energy and then he can leave that as like a nest egg for his son. 
and that's what he's doing. And we meet his son, and clearly the guy that they cast to play Chip, his son, looks just enough like Christopher Walken to be his son, and I guess he could do a mediocre enough Christopher Walken impression. You know, I mean, probably better than the one I just did, but basically, you know, why is that necessary? Like, I don't sound anything like my dad. If he, if my dad came on this show and he and I were talking, you wouldn't, like, confuse the two of us for one another, you know? it would That wouldn't happen. Like, we don't sound alike at all. But I like that they're supposedly up in this room, still having meetings. It seems like it's pretty fucking late. And basically, like, Max is supposed to be giving a speech at the treelating ceremony that's going on already. And he's not already down there. And I'm just like, all right, whatever, you know, do what you got to do. So in the middle of everything, now down at the treelighting ceremony, it's established that Selena forgot to give Max his notes for his speech. And so he has to ad lib something and it's not too awful. And I think Christopher Walken does a good job playing it off like he's making it up on the fly. And I I like it. But then the Penguins Red Triangle Gang, they unleash an attack on this tree lighting ceremony. And Gordon tells them to put up the signal, and it's just one of the more awesome scenes, but it's also patently absurd. Like, it's just so ridiculous. So, basically, when they flash the bat signal, it actuates these reflective panels on Wayne Manor, and basically redirect the image of the bat signal into Wayne Manor. And so Bruce Wayne is just sitting alone in this room in complete silence, no TV, no radio, no nothing. And he's just got his fist on his chin. And it's like, he's just sitting there waiting for this to happen. And all of a sudden, you know, it lights up the room and it's the bat signal and he stands up and it's very triumphant and all that stuff. But it's like, it's a very weird scene, but it's it's very cool, too. So we see what happens at the tree lighting ceremony while they're waiting for Batman to get there. And the Red Triangle gang wants to kidnap Max and take him to the Penguin. And basically, you know, I mean, Chip puts up a fight about, you know, not letting his dad go or whatever. And he basically sacrifices himself to save his dad and you know we just basically see what a bag of shit max is because he lets his son do this and it's like okay buddy so this batmobile in this this movie and it's basically the same in batman 1989 but it is the best batmobile and it will never not be the best batmobile in my eyes i love it i absolutely adore it but basically we get some new features that weren't in the original movie on this batmobile you know it's got like these trip bars and he trips these guys that are on stilts and it's got this giant thing that turns the batmobile around completely underneath it it's ginormous it's just i don't really know how it works like from a logical standpoint, you have to think that this thing that's pushing up is its going to have to be housed somewhere, and it, it would have to be, like, right where Batman's feet are, basically. But try not to think about it too much. And then there's also, like, projectiles and stuff. Just, just random things that happen to be on the Batmobile now that we didn't know about before. So let me just set this scene for you. So these bad guys, they have their automatic weapons... 
and they get on the Batmobile's hood, and they're facing the windshield, which is bulletproof, and they just start opening fire on the windshield, and the bullets are ricocheting off and all this stuff, and Batman is driving, and I would say he gets up to about, like, meh, educated guess, like 30 miles an hour, and then he suddenly stops, and these guys, like, are flung 50 to 75 feet away, Eh, it's probably, it's probably a bold statement, but it's quite the distance, and it, I don't buy that that, like, that they would have flown that far, you know, they would have probably fallen off the hood or something, but it's like, it wouldn't have been that bad, and then we, we get our little, you know, like, Selena's coming down to give Max his speech, and there's all this chaos going on with this gang wreaking havoc and everything, she basically gets held up by one of the gang members with a stun gun. I think that's what this thing is called. And, you know, Batman saves her and they have this really awkward interaction, but Batman literally says absolutely nothing. Like not a word is spoken by Batman in this moment. And it's so fucking awkward, but it's, it's just, you know, it's the way they meet. It's, it's very nice. So Commissioner fucking stops, you know, like he's walking by Batman as Batman has basically come and like had to clean up shop of all of these fucking gang members. And the commissioner's like, thanks for saving the day, Batman. And it's like, yeah, Commish, but don't you think you maybe could have like dispatched some officers to the scene and maybe got things a little more under control and not completely waited for Batman to do everything, you know? I mean, just my personal take. So Max flees and obviously, you know, Chip sacrifices himself and but he doesn't die you know that you don't really know what they do to him you you would think that they would just kill him but they don't and max goes to this like alley and he stands on like a grate that it's like no one would just stand on if they were you know of sound mind like you you wouldn't you wouldn't want to just be on this grate for no reason and it's like basically it's a trap door and max falls through it you know he goes down Basically, he's been captured by the Penguin, and so we get this long, swooping shot of the Gotham Zoo, and I don't know, I think the the zoo is, like, not operational, because, like, I I don't think even in, in the summertime, I don't think it's open, because it looks like it's got some damage and stuff that hasn't been taken care of, but anyway, you know, we see, you know, Max has been captured by the Penguin, and there's going to be this pitch of Penguin's plan. And basically, what Penguin's going to do is he's going to blackmail Max because Max is super fucking corrupt. And, you know, he's the kind of guy that doesn't hesitate to kill people who get in his way, things like that. And the Penguin has all of this proof of his corruption. And basically, he's going to use this to leverage making Max help him become well-respected and powerful and wealthy, you know, like, basically like Max is, but, you know, the Penguin basically is like, yeah, I look like this, and I I don't get any respect. So, I gotta say, like, you know, the, the Penguin makeup is just insane to me. I don't know why it had to be so gruesome looking, like, it just is really unpleasant to look at, and they could have done it a completely different way, and it would have been normal but it's like I guess they wanted him to be dwelling in the sewers so it makes sense I guess so we see Selena coming home you know after her 
struggles, you know, like getting in trouble with the gang member and being saved by Batman. She comes home to her apartment and she says at the front door, she opens it and she's like, honey, I'm home. Oh, I forgot. I'm not married. And I legitimately do that on the regular. I say that all the time because of this movie and I just absolutely love it. So basically, you know, Selena starts playing her answering machine and we get a little bit of an explanation of what kind of life Selena leads. It's just, it's painting this picture of her life and, she, you know, she realizes because she left herself a message and she she tells herself that she has to go back to the office to get these files ready for this meeting the next day. I mean, I guess I would probably rather come in a little early the next day, but anyway, not the point. Definitely not the point. So, you know, she, she has to go back to the office, so she goes back, and she's all pissed about it, and so they, they, I have to commend this movie, they don't waste any time with these villain origins. Obviously, we get the penguin, like, immediately, and then within the first 20 to 30 minutes, we have the Catwoman, you know, and so basically, Max is coming back from, you know, having his conversation with Penguin, and he sees that Selena is there and she's looking through these files and basically like she says that she she got these files ready for him and that she also opened these protected files and he's like protected files you don't say you know like basically like I'll be, you know, like, what on earth made you do that, Selena? And I do wonder, like, why would you do that? Why would you, you know, if you see the way Max behaves and things like that, you know, he's an unsavory kind of guy, you know, he's not, he's not up to any good. So it's like, what on earth are we, are we talking about here? You know what I mean? I just, I really, like, I don't know why she does this, but basically Max pushes her out of a window for basically finding out too much about Max and it's a really cool shot the way they do it they have her fall out of this really high window and she hits multiple awnings or overhangs or whatever and just plummets to the earth and she lays there on the ground pretty much dead I guess and all of a sudden, these fucking cats converge on her. They're swarming all over her and gnawing on her fingers and doing weird shit, you know? She's starting to, like, twitch and react to it, you know? And it's all of a sudden, it's like she's back to life and she's she's alive because of these cats, I guess. It's the most unsettling sequence, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't understand, and it's like, I could see, you know, if you're a parent taking your child to watch this movie, it's a very unpleasant scene to look at, you know? So basically, then she goes back, you know, now that she's alive, she's going back to her apartment, and she's kind of going through the the same motions that she was the first time she came back to her apartment. And she's saying, you know, the honey, I'm home thing. And she hits the answering machine again. And, you know, she starts feeding these stray cats that are coming in through her window. She's feeding them milk. And I've, I've heard that you're not supposed to feed cats milk, but just, you know, that's a little sidebar. So basically she just starts fucking throwing shit 
and smashing shit because like something on the answering machine pisses her off. She starts putting fucking stuffed animals into the garbage disposal and then she starts spray painting shit and then she starts sewing her costume. And, you know, I mean, it's it's a pretty cool costume. It's definitely unique to this iteration. Like, we don't really see any Catwoman costumes that look like this anywhere else. So, presumably, it's the next day and we're just seeing this press conference with the mayor and we don't really know what the deal is and basically this man dressed up like a clown just waltzes up and steals the mayor's fucking baby with zero fight from anybody at all and he does this you know he takes the baby does this little flip and he jumps down into an open manhole and while he's down in the sewer where the people above can't see him he is basically like quote unquote stopped by the penguin and the penguin makes it look like he saved the baby from this scary kidnapper and he emerges from the manhole with the baby. But we as the audience know this whole fucking time that the penguin set this whole thing up to look, you know, like he was doing good or something and the kidnapper actually works for him. So it's, you know, everybody's like falling for this, you know, this grotesque man that, you know, he just, he wants to find who his parents are and he basically wants to know why his parents kicked him to the curb and all that stuff. But he assumes it has to do with the fact that he was born a little different, obviously. And Bruce Wayne is watching this on the news and he seems to really care and he just wants all the best for Penguin for like a solid two minutes or so. And, you know, he just goes all in on fucking being concerned and he just really hopes the Penguin finds his parents and it's kind of a nice little thing. And then we see Penguin finding out who his parents are and all the while it's clearly he's up to something. He's he's doing something else because you know, he needed to find probably his own birth certificate, but he's like doing something with other birth certificates, and we don't really know what that is yet. And Bruce does some digging and figures out that the circus, which the Penguin was in, was shrouded in controversy and were linked to widespread disappearances of children. And then all of a sudden, it's like Bruce is like all in on like, fuck this Penguin guy. I don't want anything to do with him. He's a piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. But it is true. The Penguin just everything he does from this, you know, from the moment he emerges with that baby, he's doing it all as a ruse to basically gain favor with the public and stuff. So the Penguin finds out that his parents are dead and, you know, that his real name is Oswald Cobblepot. And it seems like the press is is just fascinated by this Penguin's every fucking move. But, you know, I would think that it'd be a very short-lived time that they'd actually give a shit about his story, you know? Like, I mean, maybe I'm thinking nowadays with 24-hour news cycles and stuff that it would just get boring, but, I mean, my God, I just, I can't see this being that exciting for everybody. So then we get to see Catwoman in action for the first time, and, you know, she saves a woman from being mugged and assaulted or worse, and she comes, like, flipping in. She's doing, like, that that thing where you, like, rapidly flip repeatedly over and over again. She fucks this guy up and then chastises the woman for making it so easy for him to prey on her, basically. The costume looks cool. I think the stitches kind of look fake in a lot of shots, but, you know, what can you do? 
the next day, Bruce and Max are having their meeting. You know, Bruce is opposed to Max's power plant because he's, you know, he's still on this about getting his power plant made. And Max Shrek actually says this line, and it sounds ridiculous to me in retrospect, but he says, May is come and go. Blue Bloods tire easy. You think you could go 15 rounds with Muhammad Shrek? What the fuck is that? Muhammad Shrek? Okay, whatever. So Bruce makes this comment about, you know, he makes a comment to Max about how he doesn't have a crime boss in his corner like Cobblepot, and Max doesn't really care for that, and he defends him, and they kind of argue a bit, but it's like, at one point Bruce says that Oswald Cobblepot runs the Red Triangle gang and that he can't prove it yet, but blah, blah, blah. And it's, that's, that's Batman talk. This, you're Bruce Wayne. You are supposed to be the, you know, reserved, mild-mannered, rich industrialist type, you know, that you're basically, you're, you're not showing that hand. You know what I mean? Like, it would just beg too many questions. Why is Bruce Wayne looking into this Cobblepot character, but I I mean, it's just an odd choice for me. So the next thing we know, Max is bringing the penguin down from his hideout, and he shows him the team of people that are going to be running his campaign for mayor, and, you know, it doesn't really make, basically, it's December, and so, you know, Penguin points out, well, don't elections happen in November? Like, how are we going to make this happen? And basically, they just want to make the mayor look like shit and basically get the public to sway in favor of the Penguin or something. But it's like, I don't really understand why Max would have ever thought that making the Penguin mayor was a good idea. I don't understand that at all. But in this scene, and this is another one of those ones that it's like, is this really a family-friendly movie? It's so this one of the guys in the campaign team walks up to the penguin and he's looking at him and obviously the penguin's all fucking gross looking and shit. And he jokes about the penguin's appearance and he says, not a lot of reflective surfaces down there in the sewer, huh? Ha 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 ha. And, you know, so he laughs and then it's like the penguin kind of laughs sarcastically and he says, true, could be worse. My nose could be gushing blood. And the guy's like, what? What the fuck does that mean? And then the penguin literally bites into the guy's nose and it starts gushing blood. And it's like, what the actual fuck is this? I don't I don't understand why that's in this movie. I guess they're trying to show what a monster the penguin is, but it's holy shit. That's, that's the means to that end, you know? Like, that's how you're going to establish that. But I, I just, you know, I can't believe that that would have ever upset parents or anybody like that. You know, I mean, why why wouldn't they want their kid seeing some guy get his nose bit off? So basically, also in this scene, we get this underwriting narrative of the penguin being extremely horny. And he, like, makes eyes at this woman on the campaign team and makes some lewd comment or whatever what is, you know, why, uh, why, why does he have to be horny on top of the fact that he's a monster? So the next thing we know, you know, the Red Triangle gang is rioting and creating destruction in Gotham again, and Batman tries to break it up, and he has this remote control battering that's really cool, like, it's got a little screen on it, and he can configure where the bad guys are, and just 
throw the batarang and it simply hits each of them in sequence. But what he does is, so he, he comes across four bad guys. It's like three guys and this poodle lady. So it's this lady and her little dog. And he throws the batarang and we see it and it's hitting each of these guys at about eye level, right? And so it hits each of them one at a time and then it comes around and it's going to hit the poodle lady and suddenly her dog jumps up and catches it but the dog only jumps two feet off the ground at most and it's like yeah that wasn't the way that was looking when when he was throwing that battering but okay it just kind of pisses me off a little bit I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you that one really fucking annoys the shit out of me so then there's just you know all of this chaos and it's important to note that batman has already killed you know he kills in this movie and you know it's important to understand the whole batman doesn't kill thing because batman is i don't know how evenly that was portrayed in the comics i don't know if batman really didn't kill or if it was just very unevenly enforced as a rule for him i don't really know how that worked but basically that was popularized by christopher nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, and it that was when it really became a big thing that Batman didn't kill, you know? And so he straps this bomb to this guy's chest and, like, you know, basically makes him explode. And so meanwhile, we have Catwoman, and she's walking around Shrek's department store, and it's closed, and she ultimately sets it up to explode. And then we see Batman meeting Penguin, and Penguin revealing that he's running for mayor... And, you know, Batman says, you're not the mayor. And it's fucking great. But, you know, then they see Catwoman coming out of the department store. And Penguin, of course, calls dibs on Catwoman because, you know, he's horny. And then he flies away on this fucking umbrella helicopter contraption that couldn't even fucking get a five-inch Penguin action figure off the ground, let alone Danny DeVito in a fat suit. So Batman and Catwoman fight on the rooftops, and she manipulates him multiple times, which should not fucking happen ever. At one point, after violently fighting him for a very long time, she stops and says, "'How could you? I'm a woman!' And Batman's like, oh, I'm sorry. I and then she fucking, like, gets the upper hand again. And if Batman's not falling for that shit. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, maybe I hold him in too high of a regard, but it's just, I, I think Batman would be smarter than that. And then she stabs him with one of her finger poker thingies that I don't really know what it is. She puts them on her, on the tops of her fingers, and maybe they're used for sewing. I assume they have another purpose, but I don't know what that is. And, you know, so she pokes him, and then he, like, kicks her into this very conveniently placed truck full of kitty litter. So that that is literally the halfway point of this movie. And, oh my god, I cannot fucking believe how much I'm talking about this movie. Alright, so... Penguin goes to his hideout and he finds the Catwoman is there and he literally says the line, just the pussy I've been looking for. And that's just the kind of thing that makes me wonder how studio execs actually thought that this was a child-friendly movie at all. So Catwoman and Penguin devise a plan to turn the public against Batman and there's this terrific moment where Catwoman puts a bird in her mouth, which was an actual real stunt done by Michelle Pfeiffer with an actual live bird. And she said that she wouldn't have done it if she thought 
any of it through basically like she didn't really think about the potential for injury or for disease or any of that stuff you know but it's basically just this moment it's like she's like antagonizing the penguin and she takes the bird out of the cage and puts it in her mouth and keeps it in her mouth for a while and then lets it go what did that give us you know what did that do for this story that that happened like i'm so glad that michelle pfeiffer risked whatever she risked to make that happen so then penguin you know he starts the first step in his plan by making it look like batman kidnapped this ice princess and so the penguin goes and he attacks the ice princess with the remote control battering that the dog caught earlier Then we have Bruce and Selina, you know, they ran into each other. And so they're having like a date the same night that the Penguin does this. And they really seem to like each other. But, you know, because the Penguin is hatching his little scheme, it's basically like they have to cut things short. They interview Commissioner Gordon on the news. He's literally holding a bloodstained battering It's in like a little plastic evidence bag. And he says, this is purely circumstantial. Well, yeah, I fucking hope it is circumstantial evidence. Because you know what? You probably shouldn't be fucking sharing that with the entire world right now. But whatever. I gotta say, so, you know, obviously they cut the date short. And Bruce goes down to get in a bat suit. And he's got this huge fucking arsenal of bat suits. And it's fucking badass. I fucking love them. And here comes this full-on fucking make Batman look like he's doing all of this bad shit sequence. So Batman saves the Ice Princess, who is on a ledge and is ultimately forced off the ledge by an umbrella full of bats that gets thrown by the penguin. And Batman goes on a menacing hang glide over the lighting of the tree crowd. And it's like, you know, he's just menacingly looking down and there are all these bats flying around and stuff. And it's probably not the best look for Batman to do his menacing thing right now when people think he just murdered an ice princess. So we get another fight with Batman and Catwoman. And Batman says, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. And Catwoman says, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. Okay, that's 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 pretty cool. That's a cool line. I like that line. So the Red Triangle gang breaks into the Batmobile all the you know while Batman and Catwoman are fighting, basically. And they reprogram it to be remote controlled by the Penguin. Batman has zero control over the Batmobile when this happens. And so it just makes it look like he's driving around and he's on a fucking rampage or something. It just doesn't make any sense that they could just fucking break into the Batmobile and reprogram it like that. If you know anything about Batman, you know that he plans pretty fucking well and he has a lot of safeguards and things like that so it's just not something that seems like it would be that easy but i must of course mention that the penguin controls the batmobile in his trailer with a little one of those you remember those little rides that were outside of kmart and target and stuff they would basically you'd put a quarter in and they'd rock back and forth for like 30 seconds and you know then you'd go on about your day when you were a little kid, you know? Basically, it looks like a little Batmobile version of that. And so, you know, that's what the Penguin is remote controlling Batman while sitting in. Throughout this whole sequence, you know, Batman can see the Penguin and the Penguin's talking to him. And, you know, he can see him on his little TV in the Batmobile. And basically, 
the penguin talks a whole bunch of shit about the people of Gotham in this sequence. And so, you know, basically Bruce just decides before he even starts, he's going to take this blank recordable CD and pop it in the drive and record what Penguin is saying, which I'm not really sure I've ever seen nor heard of any recordable CD that works that way, where it would just live record like that, you know, like it was a cassette tape or something. You know what I mean? I Definitely cassette tapes do that, but I've never seen any kind of thing that has that function, you know? So, I mean, I guess I'll just say that that is the, the burden of using technology in your movie at a time when most people don't know how it works and you just kind of try and exploit their ignorance or whatever. And then basically it just gets found out years later that it's like, oh yeah, that didn't really make much sense. So Batman finally gets it figured out and he removes the transmitter that's allowing the Penguin to remote control the Batmobile. And he somehow punches through the floor pan of this Batmobile. Again, I'm not buying it, but okay. Okay, all right, he's punching through the fucking floor pan. That's not at all hard to do. So there's this moment where Batman has to make it through this tiny gap between these two buildings. And the most convenient feature on the Batmobile emerges in this moment where Batman can detach the sides of the Batmobile, reducing the Batmobile to just like a small little tube. And it just goes through this little tight squeeze and makes it just fine. But this movie fucking ignores physics so hardcore in this moment because he rounds a corner in this tube car and he would have totally fucking rolled and lost all control of that vehicle when that happened. You know, if he tried to round a sharp corner or any corner at all, he would have been fucked. But I will say it is still pretty fucking awesome. But so what I guess is the next day, Batman plays this recording of all the shit that Penguin was saying to him in the Batmobile to turn the tides against the Penguin at this press conference. And, you know, he has these recordings on that CD I mentioned, and he plays it, and as he plays it, when he wants to, like, replay it, he scratches the CD like a record. Wicka, 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 you know, like, I mean... That's how he replays it. And it's like, I know CDs do not work like that. That's, I can say that with 100% certainty that that's not how that works. So naturally they do that old cliche where the crowd throws perfectly good produce at Penguin and he has to fire his umbrella gun to stop them. The cops chase the Penguin through the park and they yell, there he is, and open fire with some random couple incredibly close by And it just feels like maybe a bad call on the police's part. But I'm sure those seemingly innocent bystanders probably, you know, pirated a copy of Mickey's Christmas Carol or some fucking thing. But I just, I love the whole thing where it's like the fucking police open fire and have no regard for public safety. So there's this moment where Bruce is working on the Batmobile and Alfred comes to him asking how he should RSVP to this party that is clearly that night... And it's like, did they just send you the invitation or are you really RSVPing to a party the day of the party? What good is that? You might as well not even RSVP at all, you know? I mean, what is the point in that? You know, Bruce goes to it because he thinks Selena might be there. Basically, he gets there and it's a costume party. And it's always the same in movies. There are always people that aren't in costumes and that's normal. 
but everybody who's in a costume has this really over-the-top, very professionally done costume that looks way too fucking good. And it's just, it's fucking hysterical to me. It's its such a thing in movies, I feel like. So Selena and Bruce dance a little bit, and Selena says, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. And then Bruce immediately says, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it, which is kind of dumb on Bruce's part. He fucking walked right into that one. Like, why would he... If if he doesn't say anything in that moment, she doesn't know who he is. You know what I mean? But they're able to figure out who each other are from them each saying the thing that they had each said before, you know? So it's it's very, you know, it, I, I don't really agree with the fact that Bruce Wayne would have been that dumb. But it becomes clear that Selena wants to kill Max at this fucking costume party, and she pulls out this little derringer. But Bruce is obviously not a fan of this plan. And Penguin crashes the party in his giant duckmobile, which, oh, did I not mention that? The Penguin has a giant duckmobile that he rides around in and is not at all ridiculous. So Max convinces Penguin to take him instead of his son Chip. And the gang is going around at the Penguin's behest and they're kidnapping a bunch of the firstborn sons of Gotham. And the ease with which the gang kidnaps these children is kind of insane. But naturally, Batman catches them and sends the Penguin a letter to be delivered by a monkey. Because what else would he have done? The Penguin gets pissed that his plan fell through with the Firstborn Sons. And he just goes a little bit overboard reacting to that. And basically, Penguin just decides that Killing all boys and girls instead of just the firstborn sons is now his plan because he says, and I quote, the sexes are equal with their erogenous zones blown sky high. Yeah, that's that's in this movie. They actually say it out loud. I can't believe parents didn't fucking like that. So anyway, the plan is to send this fucking army of penguins out into the middle of Gotham City with remote controlled rockets strapped to their back to blow up the whole fucking city and kill everyone. And it's actually a little unclear. It would appear that maybe the penguins themselves are somehow remote controlled, or maybe they're well-trained or something. I don't know. But we get the bat ski boat, which makes its only appearance in this movie. It's, you know, we don't see it in any other situation for Batman and other movies or comic books that I know of. I mean, it functions only as something that would be able to be a boat in the sewers. And, you know, it's got these cute little penguin blips on the radar screen and shit like that. So, you know, it's pretty nifty. But conveniently enough, with no trouble at all, you know, Penguin's got these penguins that are remote controlled to go into town and they're going to set off these rockets. And, oh, wouldn't you know it? Alfred can just reprogram them and foil the plot to bomb the city. No big deal. So he turns them all around and sends them all back the way they came. And Batman gets to Penguin near his hideout. And, you know, there's a big close quarters fight between the Batman and the Penguin. And the Penguin thinks he has the upper hand, but Batman reveals that he actually has the remote for the Penguins, and he sets the Penguin rockets off, and it just, basically, it's just this all-out fucking onslaught of the Penguin hideout, and, like, it's basically this abandoned habitat in the Gotham Zoo or whatever. So, Max is actually still captive, you know, in a cage in the Penguin's hideout, and he's trying to escape. Basically, the whole place is falling apart, 
and he actually tricks the monkey that delivered Batman's letter into giving the keys to him for the cage, and so he's able to get out. So Selina shows up, and she confronts Max, and she intends to kill him, clearly, because she fucking hates Max. He's the one that pushed her out of the window. But there's this whole big thing about her having nine lives, because... I guess it makes it a little more interesting for some reason. Batman tries to reason with Selina, but, you know, she doesn't really believe in the fairy tale ending. And Batman decides to take off his mask. And we get this terrible thing where it's like, you know, all the Batman actors wear black eye makeup under their mask, you know, because they... It, it looks a little weird. So basically, they kind of had like a little goof in this movie. And they show a shot of Michael Keaton still as Batman, but with no eye makeup on. And it looks insane. And then he rips the mask off. And it's like, they could have clearly just not done that shot. You know what I mean? They could have not shown him before he started taking off his mask. And it would have been fucking fine. But they couldn't do that. So Selena basically like, she's like, give us a kiss, Santa Claus. And she takes the stun gun that the guy who Batman saved her from at the beginning of the movie had. And she basically electrocutes Max, but she, you know, we assume she dies, but she doesn't really. I don't really, I, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, where is she keeping this fucking stun gun? Where, where are we, you know, what is happening with this? I don't understand why she has a stun gun and how she actually was able to have it with her. So the penguin is, you know, he had fallen into the water because, you know, him and him and Batman had their little fight. And so he, he landed in the water. And then all of a sudden after we think Selena and, and Max are dead, the penguin emerges from the water and stands up for a minute. And basically he's pretty much about to die the whole time. And he's just like having his last hurrah. Picture this. So you've got this, you know, you got this penguin character and he's drooling out this gross ass black saliva stuff that was apparently a concoction that Danny DeVito came up with that was made of mild mouthwash and food coloring. And it's just fucking gross. It just looks disgusting. And it's more disgusting than it ever needed to be. And it's decisions like that that get mcdonald's mad at you and pull your entire happy meal line and all that stuff so we kind of assume that everybody other than bruce is dead at this point that we care about and bruce is out in the car with alfred and it's the end of the movie you know he thinks he sees catwoman in an alleyway but he only finds a little cat and you know he just scoops up the cat and takes it with him and then we pan up to the rooftop and we get this gratuitous shot of the back of Catwoman's head looking up at the bat signal to close out the movie. And basically, that was not Michelle Pfeiffer. They used some double for that shot. And they were trying to set up a Catwoman spinoff movie that didn't end, end up actually in truth, really happening as it was intended until the Halle Berry one came out in the early 2000s and was terrible. So basically, they they did this whole final scene as like a last minute thing and they just wanted to throw it together for that Catwoman movie. So highlights and praise for this movie. I would say the cinematography is pretty fucking amazing in this movie. It's really well shot. The performances are all so spectacular. I really can't deny it. Nobody is doing like a shitty job of acting in this movie. And the pacing is actually pretty fucking solid. There's never really a slow spot in this movie. I really like it. 
for criticism, I would say that the darkness, you know, combined with the gore, it's just over the top and unnecessarily unpleasant to me. Like, I just don't like it. And the silly bullshit like the duckmobile and stuff like that. Why is that in this movie? And then I will also say there is nowhere near enough Batman in this movie. Like I read something about basically Michael Keaton cut 50% of his dialogue because he felt like Batman was talking too much, but that doesn't mean he didn't need to be on screen. You know what I mean? Like I'm here for Batman. It's a Batman movie. I I love Batman. I There, I said it, all right? You got me to say it. I love Batman more than most things in this world. All right, so a little bit of trivia and production notes. So Michael Keaton has never actually watched a full cut of this movie. He I don't know what he did at the premiere to this movie, if he didn't watch it or what happened, but he's never actually seen the movie. McDonald's was forced to scrap its Happy Meal toy line due to numerous customer complaints about the film's violence and gore. At least 50% of the WB lot was taken up with Gotham City sets for this film. Michael Keaton was reportedly paid $10 million to reprise his role as Batman. Michelle Pfeiffer was paid $3 million plus a percentage of the profits. Danny DeVito went through four and a half hours of makeup every day that he had to shoot a scene. Burgess Meredith, who played the Penguin in the 1960s Batman series, was asked to play the Penguin's father in the opening scene, but an illness kept him from actually doing it. So early reports actually suggested that Jack Nicholson had been asked to return as the Joker, but he refused to film in England because of a salary tax that they have on foreign talent. Michelle Pfeiffer went through 60 cat suits during six months of shooting at $1,000 a piece. The bat suit weighed approximately 55 pounds. Early iterations of the story involved expanding on Harvey Dent's character from the first movie. Initial drafts of the story also seemed to be centered on the Penguin and Catwoman framing Batman for the murder of some of Gotham's wealthy elites, and also they were looking for buried treasure. At one point, there were plans to have assault rifle-wielding Santas in this movie. All of the bats in this movie are CGI. The role of Robin was actually developed to the point of casting the part with Marlon Wayans and memorabilia was produced before the idea was ultimately scrapped due to the excess number of characters in the story. Marlon Wayans reported that he was still receiving residual checks in 1998 as a result of a two-film contract he'd signed. Penguin's parents were played by Paul Rubens and Diane Salinger. Both were featured in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The movie was shot entirely on sets, using detailed miniatures for the larger panoramic shots. Pfeiffer also trained for multiple months learning kickboxing, and she also mastered using a whip to the point that she was able to perform the whip stunts in the movie herself. The tombstones in the graveyard actually wobble when the penguin brushes against them because they are shitty, lightweight props. So a few IMDb nuggets. If you're not familiar, I like to take some of the IMDb trivia items that I see that seem particularly stupid or like they're not based in fact or whatever. You know, like it's just they're dumb trivia items. So the first nugget I have is something resembling Felix the Cat is the logo for Max Shrek's department stores. Yeah, I mean, that's true. 
but it's not like factual. It's not really trivia, honestly. Michael Keaton never did any film work with Val Kilmer after he replaced him. But there are like no notes about the fact that like they hadn't worked together before that I know of. And we don't know if Keaton actually refused to work with Kilmer or if it just happened that they didn't get an opportunity to work together. It's just I don't really believe that just because Val Kilmer took over the role that there was some like bad blood there. The penguin, raised by penguins, knows how to talk and read. The movie never mentions who taught him these, as penguins can't teach such things. Wow. Okay, so moving on to info and ratings, we have a runtime of 126 minutes, a budget of 50 to 80 million, somewhere in that range. Opening weekend, 45.7 million. Worldwide gross, 266.8 million. IMDb rating, 7.1. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 80%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 73%. Personal rating, 4 out of 5 stars. I still enjoy it. It's just I know that there's a lot of stupid shit in this movie, and I have to point it out because that's my job. You know, that's what I do. All right, everyone. Well, I appreciate you tuning into this nice bonus episode. It's an extra long one for you. I I really didn't realize I had that much to say. But anyway, um, I appreciate you tuning in. If you're listening to my podcast for the first time, you know, give some of the other episodes a listen and see if you like anything. I'm always open to requests or suggestions or things like that. I have a Facebook page that is Brandon at Random Reviews. I am on YouTube as Brandon at Random Reviews, and I am on all of the major podcasting platforms. So, Please don't hesitate to give my other episodes a listen. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good day. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 